I've been in a few courtrooms in my time, but by far the most interesting was a grand jury I was selected for around 2010. No one wants or needs the disruption sitting on a jury brings to their life. However, when I was presented with the details of this case, I wanted to get picked. It was a damning case. A northern African man, clearly a Muslim, had repeatedly abused, raped, and even genitally mutilated a woman, then abandoned her. I have a sister. A daughter. It's a measure of how incompetent the public defenders were that someone like me could even be under consideration. I spent the beginning of the trial with my fists clenched, staring daggers at their client. I wanted to hang him. Who needs deliberation in a case like this? Just beat him to death. When the prosecution rested their case, I had a slightly uneasy feeling, though. Something was missing. Something important. Evidence. As I implied earlier, the public defender was worse than useless. But their forensic witness turned out to be well-spoken and professional. She had examined thousands of cases over a long career, and there was no sign of rape whatsoever in this one. Certainly none of the genital mutilation. It would be charitable to describe the rest of the case against the defendant as circumstantial. During court proceedings, jurists aren't supposed to talk to each other until you retire to the jury room. But I'm impulsive and impatient by nature. By the time we got in there, I could barely keep my mouth shut. Talking over the foreman, I blurted out, Please tell me you people see that this case is bullshit. And the woman next to me said, No. Women don't lie. I learned a lot sitting on that jury. For a start, I discovered that you shouldn't trust your first impressions. I had looked across the room at an honest man who had immigrated to this country and worked two jobs to support his family. Everything anyone would want from one of your fellow citizens. And I had assumed the worst of him just because some Muslim countries treat women horrifically. Shame on me. I learned that once someone gets caught up in the institutional nightmare of a fiendishly complex, bizarre, and illogical New York legal system, it creates a momentum of its own. Those prosecutors weren't stupid. They must have known the defendant was innocent. Why didn't they drop the case when it became apparent he was above suspicion? And from the woman in that jury room? I learned the world is so complex and terrifying to some people that they reduce it to single concepts. Women don't lie. Good or bad, big or small, night and day, black and white. Let's shift gears. Lighten the mood a bit. Talk about race. I've avoided America's third rail so far on this podcast because it just doesn't interest me that much. I don't believe any of the increasingly strident assertions being thrown around recently. There's no inherent meaning in black or white blood. You're easier described by your shirt than by the shade of your skin, certainly by the content of your character. Besides, people get upset if you point out there are differences between races, and they get upset when you point out there aren't differences. Why even play that game? But then I came across an editorial by Fred Baba at Goldman Sachs. If you haven't read or heard this, well, take a look. And I thought, fine, why not meet Goldman halfway? What could go wrong? Let's start with Mr. Baba. Fred is, of course, black, but more specifically, he is a Nigerian-American. The average Nigerian-American household makes 10% more money a year than a white American household. Fred is an MD on Wall Street, not a victim by any stretch of your imagination. In his statement, Fred has either deliberately chosen a false narrative or is playing up aspects of his identity in a grab for power. Since he's a managing director at Goldman, both of these may obviously be true. But wait, you say. Fred was accosted by police officers in Chicago, thrown against a police hood. He has post-traumatic stress disorder. 
Well, no. If you read the editorial carefully, you'll notice something important. Not once, but twice, he declares himself ready to fight the police. That's not how things work in a functional society. You don't get to fight police because you don't want to be arrested. Fred's story is patently ludicrous and obviously a naked play for moral authority at Goldman, but let me just say this to him. If you don't like the way that the world is laying itself out, the chances are the problem lies with you and not the world. But now my pulse is up. I want to keep pulling at the string. I've fallen into the trap. Talking about race is exciting. Let's calm ourselves down. I have a trick for this, borrowed from Tom Bilyeu. Let's do it together. Here goes. Your brain has absolutely no interest in objective reality. It just wants to keep you alive long enough to have children that have children. That's the brain's job. Reality, on the other hand, is the number of photons falling on an object and reflecting back to your eye. After all, your brain is encased in total darkness. Light never touches it. Sound never touches it. Instead, it's literally just chemical and electrical signals being used to create a virtual reality. Now, it's a useful virtual reality. It allows you to walk around without bumping into things, for instance. But it's not real. Why does that matter? It matters because you're something like five times more likely to believe something that is negative than positive. As discussed in an earlier podcast, this was an essential evolutionary development. All your ancestors who thought that rustling in the bushes was the wind and not a saber-toothed tiger? Pounce. Crunch. I was wrong about the defendant in my court case. Perhaps I'm wrong about Fred. In a more equitable frame of mind, I decided to call up Cash. Cash is featured in many of our previous podcasts. I've let on that he's black, but only once when it was essential to the storyline in episode 61. Cash and I are friends. A true friend understands that it's better to be hurt by the truth than comforted with a lie. If there's an answer, I'll get it here. But first I have to poke the bear a little. Just work him up a bit. See what happens. I ask Cash what he thinks of the recent racial justice movement. I tell him I think the whole thing is preposterous. 15 unarmed black people were shot to death last year by police officers. That's a bad week in Chicago. And that's 15 out of a population of 30 million. Yes, American prisons are disproportionately black at a third, but African-American males are 6% of the population and are committing well over half the murders in this country. Many of the problems with the black community strike me as just that. Problems with the black community. And Cash says, Whoa there, buddy. Take a breath. You need to understand something. Your brain has absolutely no interest in objective reality. It just wants to keep you alive long enough to have children that have children. That's the brain's job. Reality, on the other hand, is the number of photons falling on an object and reflecting back to your eye. After all, your brain is encased in total darkness. Light never touches it. Sound never touches it. Instead, it's literally just chemical and electrical signals being used to create a virtual reality. Now, it's a useful virtual reality. It allows you to walk around without bumping into things, for instance, but it's not real. Let me tell you what's real. On November 5th, 2008, I came to work a little late. I never come into work late. As one of the only black people on the trading floor, it's like living in the Red Queen's kingdom. I need to run twice as fast just to stand still. The trading floor is dead silent, like someone's dog died. Obama has won the election. For the next two terms, my colleagues on Wall Street nitpicked at Obama every day. Forget about the birth certificate stuff. You should have heard the outrage when he dared sit in the Oval Office wearing a brown suit. Excuse me? A brown suit? That was his house, motherfucker. 
eight years of this only to have Trump come in with all his warts and flaws and suddenly they don't see any of them. These guys are wearing red hats around the trading floor with Make Algos Great Again on the front. I had to listen to a couple of thousand different narratives on Charlottesville. But it's not about hats or Confederate throwbacks. It's about injustice. Look, some brothers play golf. It's not my thing. Being black in the workplace, you have to talk a certain way. Walk a certain way. Never your authentic self. Constantly living with internal contradictions. Am I a token? Do I really want to be Rosa Parks? No. I want to support my mother, my son. But I also had to stand up straight and look at myself in the mirror. Yet in every interaction, I risk being seen as an angry black man. People say get over it. I can't get over it. I'm forced to navigate it on every level. Every time I walk into a room, you've had a 400-year head start. Why can't I have this? Back in that courtroom, I sat aghast at my fellow juror who had said the defendant must be guilty because women don't lie. But the day was saved by someone across from us. She snorted. Women don't lie? Honey, we lie just like everyone else. No more, no less. When the jury left the high court that day, the defendant was waiting for us. He looked each of us in the eye and made sure he shook the hands of all the jurors. Clearly, we had made the right decision. A guilty man would have hightailed it out of there the moment he had gotten off. But the defendant isn't what still intrigues me after all these years. Instead, it's the public defender. She was dumb as a box of rocks and a terrible lawyer, but had a liberal zeal to defend the least fortunate among us who had no one else to speak for them. The awesome weight of our government had chosen to crush one of the most vulnerable people in our society, and all that stood between him and a terrible injustice was someone unspeakably woke. Someone who believes in fashionable nonsense. Makes you think. <laughs>